Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential on Friday morning at earsports.com with a weekend that's just kind of vacant. I was thinking to myself, when's the last time I had a Saturday to myself where I didn't have to worry about a sporting event? And well, it wasn't that long ago. It was uh, the end of November when two out of three weekends were unoccupied by football. I think there are basketball games in there, though. But this is kind of strange, Chris. Um, a middle of the winter weekend with nothing going on. What do you no, I was trying to figure out if I could find an Airbnb out in some mountains with some snow, something like that. But uh, I am actually having to stay home and do absolutely nothing because, as everybody heard me complain on the last podcast, my kids have been doing virtual school to get ready for in-person school again. And that starts on Tuesday. And our school has been very clear that if you leave town, you're out for two more weeks. So... I'm adhering to my bubble and staying at home so that my kids cannot stay at home. Does that sound bad? Does that sound like no, a bad so, parent? It sounds <laughs> lovely, though. I mean, I don't I don't have the kids, but I imagine they're probably okay to hang out with. Um, mm. Okay. Jury's out there. <laughs> uh, also, four-day weekend. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with this. That's, that's good. It's, 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 I wish... The weather's not that bad, actually. I think some snow's coming in later this weekend, but um, still pretty nice outside. Still can get out. Not too terribly cold if your body can handle it. So that's pretty nice. This is how jaded we are. I can't remember the last time I had a weekend off, never mind a a four-day weekend where it was one of those things where there's nothing going on. Again, spring and summer, it's different, but here we are. Like I never really – I don't ski, but maybe this is why. I never had a November or a, a, a January four day weekend to myself. My wife's birthday is Sunday, so that's um. Oh, that's a nice little, nice nice timing there. I'm not saying she wasn't complicit in what happened this past week, but certainly she's front and center now this weekend, and I don't know if that's a coincidence or not. Um, we've kind of shored up a little bit something we talked about last time: basketball. What could happen with the scheduling? Our media concern was they're going to have to play thirteen or fourteen games in a space that was allotted for just 10 or 11. Um, it does look like they're going to use that that buffer week between the end of the season and the start of the conference tournament. Um, they play a game on the 27th. Everybody plays a game on February 27. No one plays again until the Big 12 tournament starts on March 10. They don't have any games in there yet. They have one game that has two games that have to be rescheduled, but they don't have a spot yet. That's Kansas State, Iowa State, and Baylor, Texas, plus West Virginia's three games now. Um so those five games, some or all of them are going to get put into that that buffer week in between the end of the regular season and the start of the Big 12 tournament. Question now, do they put for West Virginia all three games in that week? That seems like way too much. Um, I do think they're going to try to play that SEC Invitational game, which means you're probably going to have to find a way to cleverly play you know, maybe two, definitely one of those postponed games during the existing schedule right now, because I can't see them playing three in that buffer week, right? No, I think that's asking a little much, but I guess it, it, that playing three in that buffer week, then you're just asking them to play three another week. So other than an impact on the um, their their readiness for the Big 12 tournament, I, I don't know how big of a difference that would be, but I, I think, wasn't it last time we were discussing Baylor Maybe that uh, it didn't like the idea, but at Texas on the 20th, at TCU on the 22nd, just keep hanging out down there, you know, in or around Dallas. They're, uh, you know, they're not right next to each other, but they're not too far from each other. And then maybe play that Baylor game on the 24th, and then you're back home for the season finale against Kansas State on the 27th. Yeah. Would you rather not have a game during that buffer week period? There's going to be some teams that don't have anything to do during that time. And I wonder, I wonder how many schools have like twenty six games scheduled instead of twenty seven, and could put one in there, or how many just be like, no, we'll take twelve days off. I don't think anybody wants to do that, right? No, I was just saying, I think ideal scenario, you play like one in there, so just so you can stay fresh, but still get some rest, still get some practice, all the good stuff. But I think beggars can't be choosers, so we'll see. I think more than likely you're going to end up with two, maybe three games that week. Yeah. The one thing I look at is West Virginia has three of the Saturday and Mondays left, which means they play Saturday and Monday and they don't play again until Saturday. That's a lot of space that is unoccupied by games. I would imagine one or two of those three games gets dropped into one of those windows 
in between a Saturday and a Monday game. Um, excuse me, a Monday and a Saturday game. So play Saturday, play Monday, and you'll probably play somewhere in between that Monday and Saturday that you have off. And what works there is that they're the home team on two of those Monday games, the first two. So in theory, they could play home on Monday. They don't have to travel. It's a 9 o'clock game. They don't have to travel anywhere home from a game or to a game. They could theoretically get TCU or Kansas State into one or two of those spots after the Monday home games. And then end of the season, they play, is it at TCU, which isn't far from Baylor? That's right. on a Saturday. Perhaps they play that Perhaps they play that Baylor game early in that buffer week. So the 27th is one game. Maybe they play on the 1st of March at Baylor if Baylor isn't totally preoccupied having to get that Texas game in, too. Very convoluted, but um, it doesn't seem all bad. I think you'd rather play once or twice during that open week because you still get an appropriate amount of time, an acceptable amount of time, I guess, before the Big 12 tournament, West Virginia. We'll see. They could play Wednesday. They could play Thursday in the Big 12 tournament. But there's a there's a way to play the 27th, which is a Saturday, and then play the following Saturday, extra game or extra games, however many they play that week, and then still have Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, maybe Wednesday off, which is which is ordinary for the Big 12 tournament. It's not quite as as chaotic, but um, I don't know. It seems like it's changed a little bit there too. It's not it's not as bad as the scene, but it it's not going to be perfect either, which that's probably part for the course right now. And, and speaking of par for the course, I think we can all expect that more changes are coming, maybe to West Virginia's schedule, uh, or more postponements are coming, maybe to West Virginia's schedule. But uh, odds say, the way things are going so far, that other teams in this conference or West Virginia and or are going to have to delay more games. So then you're going to have to jumble those around and and make those fit. It's going to be a lot of juggling going on down the stretch. And I, I feel... With each, I think if you would have asked me like a week and a half ago, I would have been like, "Yeah, it looks like they're going to play a full 27." And now I'm I'm leaning more and more towards it might end up with, you know, very few teams playing 27, at least out of the Big 12, and and some teams playing 25 or 26. Yep, look for teams to travel a lot. They seem to be susceptible just because that's been a pattern we maybe have established. Uh, it could be travel. It could be something as innocent as a sneeze in, in a barber shop that that gets you under the weather here, but. Um, it can happen to anybody. There's 10 teams in the league. Kansas State's having big time trouble with it now. We talked about how Oklahoma's not a great spot. There's two teams in Oklahoma that happen to have people coming in and out. So cross your fingers. Hope that it um us get more complex than it is right now, too. Because I think everybody's championing that football finished. Had a college football playoff. Didn't have to postpone it, even though that was a question for some number of hours, a couple of days before the game. But still got the season and got it done. And all of a sudden, the basketball thing comes back. And you're like, oh, this isn't quite as simple as it seems. But... Um, I don't know. That's an argument for another day. Here's a good argument, Chris. Um, better conference right now. Big 12, Big 10. I saw this the other day. Or I commented on, not on that conversation, but there was a story that came out when the AP poll came out like two weeks ago. Um, I believe West Virginia was ranked number nine at the time. And it it was an ESPN headline that said new AP poll out big 10 dominates the rankings. Right. And I went and looked and was it five teams inside the top nine or four, four of the top nine, five of the top nine, Baylor, Texas, no four Baylor, Texas, Kansas, and West Virginia were from the big 12. And I think maybe one was from the big 10 in that top nine. And yeah, I mean, the Big Ten had a bunch of teams in that 15 to 25 range, but that does not feel dominant to me. Having three teams, arguably, right now in the top, um, three teams definitely in the top six, but maybe three of the top five teams in the country, three of the top four teams in the country in Baylor, Texas, and Kansas, with West Virginia right there at 13, not far behind and being competitive against those teams, then I feel like. Do we want to say like the Big 12 is more top heavy than than the Big 10? I I would rather have four of the top nine than say seven of the top 25, but six of those seven are 15 to 25. I guess the question is what would happen if if you added teams to the Big 12 because they're going to need four more teams to equal the Big 10. Right. So are you going to have are you going to have, I'm trying to think who's in the bottom of the big 10. Are you going to have like Purdue quality teams in the big 12 is Purdue average below average this year. Um, 
because again, that's always a difference. One has 10, one has 14. So, you know, collectively you have a chance to have more teams in the top of whatever, if you have more teams, it's still an achievement. If you, if you have a lot of teams and a lot of them are ranked, that still means you're pretty good. But what would happen if you expanded the big 12 to have more than 10 teams? And again, you're looking, here's your bottom of the big 10, Michigan state, Maryland, Penn State, and Nebraska. Michigan State and Maryland are ordinarily either highly successful in the case of Michigan or, or postseason participant in the case of Maryland. Are you going to add two teams like that to the Big 12? I think that's, that's maybe one way to look at it. Um, if you add to make them even, what's the quality of the players you're adding, of the teams you're adding there? I'm not sure that you could do that. But if you look at the bottom of the Big 12 at 10 teams, the 10th team being the worst team, it's Iowa State, and I don't think I, I think Iowa State might finish last in the Big Twelve and the Big Ten here too. So it, it's interesting because even the numbers are, I think the Big Twelve. I was looking at the Pomer, Pomeroy ratings. Big Twelve had five of the top fourteen. Big Ten had five of the top sixteen. Um, Big Ten had two of the top three. Big Twelve had four of the top six, or something like that. It was crazy, like very comparable. And and the one thing too is, the, like when you watch the style of play now too, for so long the Big Ten was just kind of like this plotting, methodical, low-scoring, high-defense conference. It's not like that at all anymore, too. A lot of these offenses are open and they're scoring and running, too. Um, if you had to bet on one team having more, or excuse me, one one league having more Sweet 16 participants, where do you go there? I think I go Big 12. And for the reasons I was talking about, about it being a little more top-heavy, I, I, I know that Michigan really got to look good the other day. Uh, currently undefeated. Is that right? Like, I don't think they've lost the game. Um, I was top 10. Um, but if you ask, you know, you're asking me, if it, basically, it's do, do I like Baylor, Kansas, Texas, West Virginia, and Texas more than Michigan, Iowa, Wisconsin, and Illinois, I don't know, whatever their fifth best team is. I, I think I'm taking the Big 12. I think you're more likely to end up with like three of those Big 12 teams in the Sweet 16 than, than you are to end up with that many Big 10 teams. Yeah, I kind of feel like the fate of the Big 12 in public opinion or maybe even the postseason is going to swing on on some combination of, of these four teams, if you're ready. Is Kansas really not great because I, I, I've watched him a couple times and been like, eh, and I don't know if it's just because it's not the Kansas that I'm used to. It doesn't have that that big or that number of big players that just kind of dominate the paint and make them so hard. And they've they've gotten beaten by some teams that you're probably surprised by or maybe by outcomes that you're surprised by. So that's one thing, too. Are they going to sink? Or are they going to rise? I don't know. Oklahoma State. Now, granted, they may be in the postseason. They may not, but they look like they're competitive and they can beat a lot of teams and including Texas, excuse me, Kansas the other night, which was kind of an interesting game. They were up by 16, then down by four and then closed the game on an eight Oh run. I think that was kind of something surprising, but that's a team that has talent. Um, what is the real Texas tech? That's the team that has a reputation that plays really hard and looks like they're probably getting it together. They're also three and zero on the road, which is probably not surprising, but you're going to have to do that in the big 12 and the West Virginia. What are they going to do? Um, we, we don't know. The jury's definitely out on them, and what they're doing right now doesn't help. But, you know, what if, if two or three of those teams emerge as bona fide two win second weekend teams in the tournament? I think you could probably assume that Baylor's going to be good. And, and Texas, I, I like Texas' team. I think they can be good too. But um, you're looking at maybe seven teams in the league that could get into the tournament if you consider Oklahoma State a possibility. And then if Oklahoma State, if West Virginia, if Texas Tech kind of played to a certain potential or expectation or otherwise get their act together and Kansas remembers it's Kansas or acts like it's Kansas, now you got a really formidable league because you look at the standings and it's really strange to see, frankly, Texas is second place and Kansas is fourth. And in between them is Texas Tech, a team that was in the championship game a couple of years ago but has turned over a lot of its roster. Um, it doesn't make a lot of sense, which means it's going to get sorted out over time. The thing is that, like, I don't know you're going to have a, a, a 16-2 and two team I don't think you'll have a 10 and 18 that wins the league either, but probably going to have a number of losses for your first place team. Question for you on Oklahoma State. When do we think they're going to give an answer to this appeal? And and can you just, if you're Oklahoma State, are you just appealing all the way until you get into the tournament and then yeah. being like, all right, good, never mind, we're out next year, you know, mm -hmm. since our number one over five star, number one overall recruit is going to the NBA. So we're out next year. 
We'll, we'll take our ban now. Yeah, I would I would get every appellate lawyer I can find. <laughs> try to, like just keep slow burning this thing as long as I can to to get down into the tournament, and then you know whatever the whatever the deadline is to file a response, I'd wait until like. 59 seconds of the final minute till I press submit or send on my email or, or my fax or whatever they do to get in touch with the the uh, NCAA and I, I just I, I have a question about that team though because they're just not big they don't have size I don't know how you're going to survive but then again there's not a lot of big teams in the league too so it might just be okay it might be an okay year to be kind of a weird team that can't make it but they're fun to watch like if they get going I mean they can they can beat a lot of teams I think that's that's probably interesting here too um, real quick on basketball the Oddly enough, they are, they're off for three games here, West Virginia. But unlike football, they don't have to pause team activities, which someone asked me that. And I was like, I have no really good answer. And then I asked the question, and the person was like, I don't know. It doesn't make any sense to me either. But when football couldn't play the Oklahoma game, they had to pause team activities for seven days. Basketball doesn't have any enough players to competitively participate in a game against Baylor and presumably also against TCU and Oklahoma State. So What? You figure they're going to pause for seven days. That's not the case. Does that make any sense to you, Chris? Or is this just another example of winging it as we go along? I think it's just winging it. Unless, you know, you're just looking at, well, I was about to say, because in, in basketball, you can do a lot of individual activities to, to practice on. You can be at other ends of the court. You can do two on two, three on three, uh, separate guys out. I mean, because you, you said, well, what was the minimum six, I believe, to, to yes. be able to play? So if you had five, or even if you had four, you could do two on two. You could do, if you had five, you can do shell drills and and everything and, and run through plays and, and motion and stuff. So I get it, but I guess you could also do that kind of stuff if you if you, it with football. So I'm not sure I entirely understand why football can't, but basketball can, especially with basketball being inside. A lot of virtual, don't you think? Yeah. Huggins happily zooming with his players right now. <laughs> Can't see that happening too. Yeah, that's the trouble. Is like, how can you? We're we're assuming they have no more than five healthy available scholarship players right now. And the thing is too that the players who are sidelined, and it's our math says at least six scholarship players are either tested positive or contact tracing. We're told more contact tracing than testing positive. So let's just say six players are out. So it's at least six because they only have five. Um, they have no more than five available scholarship players. What are you doing? I don't know. But those six players are out for 10 days, a minimum. If you're contact tracing, it's a minimum of 10 days, and you have to have a negative test before you can get back on the court. Uh, if you have tested positive, again, minimum of, of 10 days, and then health screenings, positive tests. So minimum is the key word here, which probably puts that um, that home game against Kansas State in jeopardy too because the 10th day is – I want to say Wednesday of next week. I don't have the math in my head, but it's it's far away still, but also close enough to that Saturday game that you know you have to have things change quickly there too. So that game's in jeopardy. But also, if you get back and everybody's good to go on Wednesday, you have a chance to get your legs underneath you and do some sort of a collective practice, which would have not happened at all between the announcement Monday and whatever that tenth day and all the screening and testing does occur. Um, Probably not going to be a pretty game against Kansas State. They're, they're ordinarily not pretty when those two play, but I can see this one being just a, a 48 to 42 kind of game, too. How how often are they um, testing right now for basketball? I mean, I know Bob Huggins said it was a million, but obviously he was he was being, you know, but what is, is it because I know in football it was Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Is that the same for basketball? I think it's three times before a game. Okay. Which Three makes times sense. before, like between each game, though. Like I, I believe, I believe so. Um, because again, if you if you practice, if you do a Sunday, Wednesday, uh, Friday for basketball, and you play on Tuesday and Saturday, you test negative on Sunday. Let's say you're positive on Tuesday and you play on Wednesday. That's bad. Yeah. So I don't right. think they can do that. I think they have to test in between the games some number of times. Is it three times? I don't know. How do you test three times on a Saturday, Monday? Are you testing three times on Sunday or Sunday, Sunday? Monday morning, I don't know about that. So there's probably some sort of a flexibility there, which I'm sure there's a common sense solution, but I don't think you can apply the framework for football to basketball and have that be a, a reasonable way to I'm, operate. I'm trying to figure out when guys are back. Like, you know, maybe if they are were contact traced and if they're taking te- – when they're taking tests to get back or if they're just taking as many as they can as fast as they can to get the three negatives or whatever it's needed to get back out there to practice. Um, 
Well, they give your contact traced the tenth day if you count Monday as the first day, and Wednesday of next week as the tenth day. Theoretically, they could pass the health screening and the positive test on Wednesday and practice Wednesday afternoon, I would guess. And maybe the 10th day is you actually count the 10th day and you go on Thursday. Or maybe Monday doesn't count as the first day and your first full day is Tuesday. Either way, you're, you're talking Thursday latest is that you could have everybody. Thursday at the earliest, you could have everybody back or LASIK everybody back. Perhaps it's Wednesday. And you're playing Saturday, so there's some chance. But you're going to have to, again, I think you just have to have a negative test. And then if you had it, Health screenings, you know, that, that means your heart and everything, too. They're going to make sure that you have no types of cardiac issues there, too. Um, it's not just a temperature check and can you breathe. Here's a stethoscope on your chest. It's, hey, does your heart work? Is there any scarring? Is there anything like that? Um, which is also the, the in place for football, too. You have to go through all that. That takes a little bit more time, I would guess. So I'm not sure that everybody who tested positive could be back that quickly. And then who's got legs? Who's got wind? Who can actually run up and down the court if you've been off your feet for 10 days, too? Yeah, man, this stuff. Job is just trying to do the math there again. Eleventh, so twenty-first. That's Thursday, best case scenario. Because it was it was Monday morning when we were talking to Bob Huggins, and he said yeah, they were waiting on the test results, and then a couple hours later, it was it was gone. Right? That was Monday. Mm-hmm. My days are running together, but that's that's the twenty-first, and then you got to turn around and fly to Kansas State the next day. Yep. Right now. Mm. Not great. No, it's a home game, isn't it? Not the twenty-third. At Kansas oh, that's right, State, that's right. TCU was home game. I'm sorry, you're right. You're yep. right. Wrong purples here. Wrong purples too. Yeah. So it could it could be good. It could be bad. Um, what would you like to see them working on behind closed doors right now too? Because it's going to have to be largely virtual, and you probably can't do a whole lot of here's how to play a one three one. But I don't, I don't know free throw shooting, step in shots, stuff like that. But is there something that this this ten day magic wand may otherwise help them with? I would definitely be running through. Um, that one through one, I'd be running through some zone concepts to get them ready. I don't, again, I don't know who's going to be back when, when they're, who's has access to the gym. If you could get guys in there to shoot free throws, I'd have them shooting free throws every single day. I, I almost did a, a full thing on a, a, a full like film room thing on this with Culver yes. because his, <laughs> I, I, I feel bad because I think I did two or three last year i know i did at least two i might have done three on culver last year and i'm talking about doing another one this year and the the thing is i wouldn't be doing these if you weren't good okay if he sucked i wouldn't do it let's be clear so i don't want people to think that i that i'm being overly harsh on him or i don't think he's good or something he's great and but there are things in his game that that should be more easily fixed you know last year i wrote about his spacing and where he's getting the ball and Huggins touched on that after the game said he kept getting the ball 10 feet from the paint. That was a problem last year. It happened against Baylor drove me nuts, drove Huggins nuts. Uh, the free throws does something different every single time. That's something that should be easily fixed, still not fixed. And this year, I, I, I know we did it some last year, but I almost did a full film study on where his eyeballs are looking at the point that he begins his shot. Because I guarantee less than half the time that he begins his motion, begins his jump, begins his shot, his hook shot, whatever he's doing, less than half the time he is looking toward the rim when he starts that motion. And that, I think, is where he needs to really, if he wants to be, if well, if he wants to be and Huggins wants him to be, kind of a centerpiece of this offense when it's not going five out and shooting threes and he wants to get inside and slow it down. Culver has to refine his interior game. He he like he has the same two moves and he's out of control and he's not looking at the rim and he's not getting calls. Some of the time he should be getting calls, but he's not getting calls. So he has to refine that. He has to get his eyes on the rim. He has to have a different move. You're not going to come up with a different move in, in a week or 10 days, but at least get your eyes on the rim before you go up for a shot. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, 
celebrity interviews, or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I've been watching a lot of Cobra Kai, Chris. Okay. There's got to be a lesson from this that we can pull out from Miyagi-Do or any one of the senseis that they can apply to Derek Culver at the foul line. Yeah. I don't know what it is. Is it blindfold shooting? Is it standing on one leg and shooting? Is it grannies? Is it... I don't know, but there's got to be something there that can cool him down. Because here's the thing. He is extremely smart. And I I really feel like if you got him into something where he would slow down, think, and pay attention to your routine, or um, don't take the shot, be the shot. You know, one of those things. Visualize yourself going through the rim. I think that would make a difference with him. Like, just so much of basketball is, is mechanical and reaction and just being trained to, if then, if this happens, then this happens. Bob Huggins calls it neuromuscular integration. I really feel like free throw shooting is the exception. And that's the one thing that's that's actually primed for a routine and for re- rehearsal and not because your muscles are used to it, but because you get into a comfort zone in a familiar place. So much of basketball is that you're not in a comfort zone and you're not in a familiar place. You learn all these moves, how to screen, how to cut, how to cross over, how to shoot fadeaways because you can't get what you want. You can't establish an ideal position. You can't establish ideal circumstances. It gets no more ideal than at the free throw line. And I really feel like if that's the time where you get to actually unpack your bags spread out, get comfortable, you can be effective. You can enjoy that moment there rather than having to go there and quick, let's get this over with, and I'll go back on defense. I'll go 0 for 2, I'll go 1 for 2, maybe I'll go 2 for 2. There's a pressure that's inherent there. It's it's a chore and not an opportunity. But if you look at it as a chance for, hey, here's how I get to go and do that thing I've been working on. I'm calm, I'm comfortable, I can work. Uh, I'm not saying this has to become some you know existential, um, meditative Derek Culver out there, but I, I really feel like there's a way for him, not necessarily in this window of time, but for him to find some routine, some pattern to go. Because um, I just talked to Lamont West about this once. He doesn't ever dribble. He just goes up there and he thought it was a trick. Everybody shoots free throws and they dribble. I'm not going to dribble. That's going to be my thing and I'm going to focus on that. And he was a really good free throw shooter too. And I just think that free throw shooting is is different than so many other aspects of basketball because it, it can be planned. It can be rehearsed, unlike a lot of other parts of the sport. I don't disagree with you. I don't disagree with you at all. I think, I, you know, I talked about before my, I had the same motion at the same daggone thing. Everything, every single time I can remember it 15 years later. Um, and I, it, it you got to do, try to do the same thing. You got to, like you said, feel comfortable. And I'm not sure. Again, I, I'm curious if he's, he can get out there. If he's, are, do they have access to the practice facility to go in there on their own or, under supervision, whatever, um, during this time to practice that. I, I yeah. just don't know. If you're not positive and if you're not contact trace, you can proceed business as usual. So okay. if Hofer is one of the five or however many people that doesn't have any sort of a red flag, he can go and take 500 free throws a day if he wants to. Um, theoretically, if he was sick and he was by himself at Marilla, just taking free throws on the blacktop, he could probably do that too. I mean, wouldn't be the smartest thing, but I mean, you know, he's by himself. He's got a mask on. He's shooting free throws. He's his own ball boy. I don't think anybody's going to tell him he stopped to do that, but certainly there's a plan. There, there's a chance for him at the minimum to heal up. It sounded like he was walking wounded, and Huggins kind of made this mention too. He does not like the training room. No one really does. It takes kind of a weird personality to be like, yeah, dunk me in ice for three hours for three times a day, but he doesn't like to do it. And the problem there is that if he doesn't like to do it, maybe he's not doing it all the time or is, you know, he's not as dedicated to the the weight the training room as always it's not a hard skill you're getting ice but still you don't you have to be there you have to want to do it and you have to take it seriously to actually sit there and do it but if he's not getting beat up in games for a while perhaps he heals a little bit better too that could help him out as much as anything because you're right he was getting pushed up the lane a lot and you know while there may not be great offensive centers in this league or great defensive centers in this league there's big guys who can lean on him and Again, Jericho Sims for Texas didn't have a great offensive game, didn't have big stats. He fouled out, actually, because Culver drew seven fouls. But that's seven fouls he took, right? And then over 40 minutes, and he's playing darn near 40 minutes now, 
You just get tired of a guy leaning on you and putting his elbow in your back. And I thought he was good at that. Sims was just good at leaning on Culver and making him play hard. And as much as, you know, maybe Oklahoma ticking him off and, you know, trying to trip him in the in the transition and things like that, that might be a book or a blueprint for Culver. The fact that you can, like, make him work and lean on him and, and that he's going to tire and fatigue and he's going to go north when he wants to be positioned in the South Pole in the paint, that's something the schools are going to pay attention to. And some of these other teams, Kevin Samuel for TCU in particular, big guy that can lean on him and make him work. So nothing wrong with him getting refreshed right now. That might actually be a benefit. I was listening to the post-game radio show. I think it was it was after Texas when he played that. What did you say? Was it 37, 34? Was it McBride played 37? Yeah. Um, and Jay Jacobs asked him, said, Jay Jacobs asked him, said, hey, you know, this that's too many. Basically ended it with that's too many minutes, right? And I'm I'm not even thinking about listening because the answer is obvious that that's too many minutes. That's it's too many. I just feel like that's an obvious answer. Except Bob Huggins says it was not too many minutes. That Culver's capable of playing that many minutes if they can get creative and finding ways to um get in there and and sneak him a minute or two, you know, give him his break right before timeout, right before the TV timeouts, right before half, all this other stuff that he thinks he can play 30-some minutes a game. That's hard for a lot of people to do, especially <laughs> someone that's, you know, a big guy that's battling the entire game and having to run the, the length of the court. I Just a reminder to all the guards out there that just run – top of the key to the top of the key. These, these big men are running basket to basket every single time and and are also battling for position and rebounds and everything else. And that's exhausting. There's no way he should be playing that much. One more basketball, and we'll segue to football here to wrap up. But I wrote about this Thursday afternoon. Um, some language coming out of the American Football Coaches Association meetings here um, about tampering. And how Todd Berry, who's the head, actually the executive director of the AFCA, he would like to see the federal and government involved in tampering in recruiting. And if someone gets involved and says, hey, name, image, and likeness is better at my school or better at a school I can get you into, come on and transfer. Well, I think we're all stupid if we think that this isn't going to happen and that people are not going to try to capitalize financially or with their status, their job, whatever, with this new one-time free transfer rule, and you're going to combine the NIL potential with tampering and transfers, and we're going to have this weird free agency, almost like agency period, where schools are going to just be able to pluck players in the transfer portal or before they're even in the transfer portal. Um, but he's bold, and he says, hey, I'd like to see the federal government involved in this. Um, not a perfect analogy, but Bob Huggins certainly insinuates that one of his players was tampered with um, before and during his exit from the school to another one of the SEC. We won't mention any names. We're tired of that story. But again, we're naive if we think that stuff doesn't happen and won't happen in the future here. I bring this up because it occurs to me that we're doing this one-time transfer thing because they just made a farce of the transfer process. The whole year in residence thing went away. Um, it became very clear that people were just getting waivers because they knew how to cheat, for lack of a better phrase. Of course they're going to try to cheat now when it comes to ways to use the one-time transfer in their, in their, um, their advantage. But how do you prove tampering? Is this even a realistic idea? Or, Chris, is it even necessary? Oh, man. <laughs> it's a little bit depressing, but I, I don't... I think it's necessary because if you fully take everything off and you just give it a free-for-all, it, it's, it'll get ugly. I mean, I, I know the NCAA doesn't do a good job. I know they don't do a... a they don't enforce it very well. I know they don't punish very well. And people still get around it. They find ways around it all different ways. But this is, I think they're, they they still temper it some with these restrictions, with their rules, even if it doesn't outright, you know, stop everybody. But I don't know what else you can do. I mean, unless you see, I think getting a federal government involved, because uh, for instance uh, how was it? it was the miami thing and they couldn't get a lot of information because these witnesses aren't compelled to testify to the ncaa like there's no punishment for a lot of them it's you're like volunteering to give up information for the most part unless you're a school or a student and so if you don't get the go if you don't get law enforcement in some way or fashion involved you're not going to be compelled to testify or to give evidence or 
to even really follow the rules yeah. unless there's punishment on the other end. It's wild. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I like, I mean, I know it's crazy. I don't, I don't like the, I, I am not one to think that we need to get the government involved in everything, but if my options are the government or the NCAA, you are, man, making me, this is, these are not too easy picks, not two of my favorite picks here. No, the devil you know is not necessarily the devil you want to do business with there either. So that's, yeah. that's kind of bad. I just I find it odd because I don't think he's going to say this unless the idea has some backing. It's not like mm-hmm. he's going to say this and his constituents are going to go, what? No, it's probably come up before. And it's probably necessary. Again, if you look at what's happened, we all saw it happening. And here we are. They've just completely picked apart the transfer process of the part. Now you can just move freely once and. What do you think is going to happen now? Like, all right, let's let's try to build a wall now if we can here and make sure it doesn't happen. How they do it, I don't know. I find this interesting because, as I wrote, West Virginia is uniquely positioned here because their football coach and their basketball coach are on the board of trustees and the board of directors for the uh, coaching associations in their respective sports. And who's the head of the NCAA's day-to-day operations now in Division One sports? Shane Lyons. Um, they're going to have their hands on this somehow or another. We know how Huggins feels about this. Um, Brown is kind of devoid of opinions when it comes to things like this. Um, he, his fame, he famously says he just wants to know the rules and he'll follow them. Well, Neil, you have a chance to make the rules here that you can follow. I, I'd be curious to ask him what he thinks about this. And, and Lyons is, I mean, he's going to do what the group comes up with, but he's also going to give policy and direction to that body in the division one too. So uh, something worth following here. Cause I think West Virginia is going to have, have their hands into it. You know what, you know what this means to me, Mike? With with Brown and Lions where they are, hmm. it's good. It's a good time for WVU to cheat. I'm just saying, got some guys on the inside, got a little cover. It's time. It's time. You know, you know how I feel about cheating. I I could start a whisper campaign for very cheap. <laughs> just just saying. Mm-hmm. Can do it. Finally, speaking of whisper campaign, Rich Rodriguez is back in the news. I was wondering where you're going with that. Yeah. Um, had a little bit of steam from the Marshall job, uh, you know, applied for it, seemed like it made sense. Um, not on their list of people who were interviewed or being taken seriously for the job. They have a pretty narrowed down list of internal and external candidates. So good coaches in there too. Uh, can we, wait, can we deviate here? Why is, why? I think that's a great hire for them. Why would that not be? Do you, uh, do you want to play devil's advocate or do you disagree with, with that? I think he'd be great. Okay. Yeah. So what's the uh, devil's advocate angle here? Like why, why is he not great for this? I think I just think they hired the hotshot assistant from West Virginia who'd been connected to the school for so long and had him there for however many years and it didn't work and they don't want to do it again. Right. Now granted doc holiday is not a hotshot assistant from West Virginia, but they took the assistant from West Virginia and you know, I think that's a thing for Marshall that they don't want to do. There's that other school. I don't want to say little brother, but there's that mentality. There's that stigma, that persona that they don't perpetuate, but others do. And real or not, they have to get past that. So going outside is probably a good thing. And they tried the holiday thing and it worked. It just didn't work as well at the end. And that's even debatable. But could you imagine hiring a West Virginia guy and then hiring a West Virginia guy again for Marshall? That's tough. Um, I think that probably worked against Tony Gibson. That probably worked against Jared Parker. Parker wanted the job. And didn't get a sniff. Tony Gibson wanted the job and didn't really get a sniff there, too. And Rodriguez, I think, would have been cool. Um, I think the Marshall people probably could have gotten behind that a little bit, too. Not like, you know, <laughs> you're, you're, my, my enemy's enemy is my friend. One of those things, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, there, there's a way to make that work and make it. And I think he'd be good, too, because that, that offense is coming around again, too, where you're seeing it more and more and more, a little bit more with the pass predilection than, than, than maybe he did here, but it's coming around again where quarterbacks are running and you're seeing these full-blown spread option teams. Again, it's 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 more effective and efficient. Um, it can work in a group of five conference, I think, more so than a power five conference. Power five, you can get the premier passers and the elite pass catchers, so you don't have to really rely on that. But if you got to rig it a little bit to win games and you get athletes to play quarterback and you run spread option, you can do that down there, man. You could do it in Louisiana, I'm sure, which is probably where he's at right now. But I think you could have found ways to get those players in Huntington. They've had talent in Huntington for a long, long time. And it's not a bad job. They have really good facilities. They've been winning. Um, you can win that conference for sure. 
So I, I would have been very interested. I think he would have been good. But as it is, he's the offensive coordinator at Louisiana Monroe. And this is quite a staff they put together here. You mean, uh, it, is West Virginia a feeder school for Louisiana Monroe now? Might be. Is that, is that what WVU is? Mm-hmm. Do you like this staff? Better question. I mean, I, I we've we discussed that we both think Rich Rod is is would have been a good hire for Marshall. What about the fit at Louisa Monroe, and and how about with everybody else that they're talking about or have started bringing on staff some familiar faces? Yeah, I, I think that Rodriguez will be motivated to get a head coaching job. He's probably near the end of the line, you know, and and there's nothing wrong with being a head coach in the Sun Belt, much as there's nothing wrong with being an offensive coordinator in the Sun Belt. Um, you can move up from there too, for sure. Uh, how high does he go? Does he get a power five head coaching job again? Does he get a power five coordinator job? Don't know, but we also don't know because you can listen, you can put up good performances in that league. There's, there's talent to be had in that part of the country. He's no stranger to Louisiana. He's no stranger to the South. I, I suspect he'll be fine there. And I'll tell you what, man, the banquets with him and Bowden will be amazing on the rubber chicken circuit in the summer. <laughs> there will be a lot of people just opening their wallets and saying, take my money, because those are funny guys, and they're going to be entertaining and engaging, and they're going to get a lot of support behind that program. I don't think that'll be an issue at all right there. Is it the best program in the Sun Belt? No. Can it be? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 been good before. I don't think there's a reason that it can't be, too. So that'll be interesting. And then um, I guess the other coach is Trickett, correct? Right. What's his position there? I would assume quarterbacks coach, but have they announced that yet? I know there were whispers. I probably should have done my homework on this one here as we're talking about it. <laughs> um, I don't say that as official yet, but that's been yeah. That's, it's not a fi- it's not official. It's been yeah, a whisper. It's been rumored. It's been was it on football scoop? Yeah, well, can't remember. They, but it was they on- got everybody else. They don't have a quarterbacks coach, so they got defense. They got running backs. They got tight ends. Um, and then I'm assuming I would think he's maybe waiting or looking for something. Um, it did not end the best way for him up there, down there. Um, but I don't think it was because of him. I just think it's because he was a holdover from the staff and sometimes you got to wait a year to fill the job. And that's probably what Willie Taggart was doing. And maybe he gets his guy in there and goes, I don't think it's a knock against Trickett and he may be looking for a better landing spot, but if he ends up there and that's been rumored, not reported, I guess, certainly not official, but that's a good spot for him too. Cause I mean, he's going to one, there are, there are worse guys to learn from than than both those guys, uh, Bowden and Rodriguez, too. And then, again, that's not a place he's going to be very long if he does his job. And if he does his job, perhaps Rodriguez moves up and on, and then he could be a coordinator in a group of five school and be onward and upward with his career, too. Um, I don't know, all connected in the in the land. The other Rodriguez news was he made onto the Pat McAfee show. Have you seen the highlights from this? I have not seen the highlights. I did know that, I did know that he went on there, yeah. It was, it was good because... You kind of see that he, man, as time passes, you feel totally different about this, but it was very, very antagonistic when he left initially. But he also says that, you know, Michigan told him, hey, kind of like ex-girlfriend kind of thing, just break up and leave and don't really answer questions about it. Don't talk about it. That probably didn't sit well with you, whether that was true or not. But also says that he wanted just $50,000 for his assistant coaches. And they said, no, this is all we're going to do. Take it or leave it. Uh, that is a true part of the story. I mean, he did want things and they did say no enough's enough. That's because he kept asking and asking for things and getting and getting things. Um, but he did kind of say that the one thing that was seemingly minor, but also significant was he just wanted a little bit more money to retain coaches. And you think about it now and like, we're, we're about to dump, jump into a period here where retaining coaches is probably a big thing for West Virginia with seven assistant coaches who are coming in. But it's funny that a problem that is a problem, an issue that's, 13, 14 years old right now is still kind of major deal in college football where you want to be able to keep your assistant coaches, which means pay your assistant coaches or hire your assistant coaches to replace assistant coaches. And man, West Virginia is still as, as many as are many programs, just kind of dealing with that. Like what's enough and how much is enough to, to keep everybody happy. Yeah. Lots of pushes over the years to, to make contracts uh, guaranteed, make a multi-year, make them, you know, the salary pool higher in, all that's going to, you know, there's been a little bit of pushback on the multi-year contracts for, for some assistant coaches, for position coaches. And then West Virginia, as you know, you said seven, right? Seven mm-hmm. assistants, uh, their contracts are up, got to decide whether to renew or not. And if you renew them, typically that means a little bit more money for each of them. And on top of that, you're it's Jeff Coons, right? That has a, a big bump because his, oh, yeah. uh, 
pay was is no longer um uh whatever from old miss but uh, this could end up being a pretty substantial amount of money that, that west virginia is going to be playing assist, paying assistant coaches after already having to pay off vic coning to go away so we won't go down that rabbit hole right now, but I'm just saying this is this is a, a substantial sum that West Virginia is spending over this last fiscal year for assisting coaches. And there might be some tough decisions that have to be made here in, in you know, the next month and a half. Uh, assistant coaches contracts t- typically up at the end of February, right? Or end of January, February. Mm-hmm. So We had activity this time last year because um, Blake Seiler – and Xavier Die, who was the third coach? They both left, and well, now you're blanking me. Oh my gosh, it must have been a. Let's see, uh, <laughs> Parker replaced Die, so now we got to replace Siler. And Coons replaced Siler. Who did Dante Wright replace? Oh my God, people are yelling at us right now with the answer. We can't figure it out. <laughs> Well, Wright was late in the process because um, West Virginia lost somebody late in the process. The person who we cannot name for some reason. Oh, my gosh, this is terrible. Um, but anyways, uh, Siler was hired by Ricky Rain. Who oh, Al Pogue. Was, Al Pogue, yeah. All right, so that was late in the process too, right? Yeah. Um, that was after. That was the typical after it was, signing. It was after signing, yeah. Yeah, so Ricky Rain takes a job at Old Dominion. He hires Blake Siler, and then Jeff Scott is hired at USF and he brings Xavier Dye. So those are guys who were hired and needed to put their stats together right away. Um, West Virginia was so far not hit by any new head coaches filling out their staffs. There's not a whole lot of power five openings left, which I think is probably what you're worried about with, for example, a Jordan Leslie or a Jamal Adai that maybe one of those guys would get plucked and not resign or something like that. But that hasn't happened yet. Um, we're going to dedicate an episode to this in the future, but the the finances are unknown right now. Like I don't, I don't even know if they're going to hand out like, incentive bonuses for like winning a bowl game or making it to a bowl game. I don't know if they can do that. Um, and then what do you do? Do you do, can you afford to do multi-year contracts right now? Don't know that. You know this story cause you wrote the story, but when the basketball coaches came back, mm-hmm. no changes in their contract, right? Right. And, and all of them like right up to the day, like, you know, if people were like, Hey, it's up in February, we should get answers soon. Like, no, not, not necessarily for basketball. There was, I think I, I put in a request like two days after, and one of the, one of the contracts still wasn't even finalized yet after it was supposed to have already expired. The previous contract was supposed to have already expired. So this is something that it's obviously a delicate subject for everybody with everything going on um, with all their jobs and trying to get through everything that's going on in the world. But coaches, they got to figure out just like everybody else. Like, hey, we signed a new contract. I want, I want you to to fulfill that contract. And then I would like to advance either by salary or position uh, the next time around, just like everybody else. So it's, it, it's tough. And um, we'll see. I, I, do you think the, can they not pay bonuses on ball games and stuff? I don't know. I, I just don't know. I mean, that's, that would seem like kind of like superficial, expenditures right now so i don't right. i don't know i'm scheduled to talk to lion sometime soon but and then here, here's what's complicating this texas is printing money right now to pay their coaches like <laughs> yeah. they, they they're 24 million dollars to get rid of a staff right um and then hi- hiring like significant people um it looks like kyle flood will come with him from Rutgers, or not from Rutgers, from alabama the former Rutgers coach that's going to be a steep steep payday right and yeah. i say that because they hired alabama's special teams coach to make the special teams and tight end coach at texas he's making a million dollars well and I, didn't i read that like they oh. also they also had it all lined up though from donors like just big money donors being like i we have to get rid of herman uh here's 50 million dollars okay i'll but give you I, but the well, money's but, there yeah, it's not there here. It's not there like it's not there at Texas as it is in many places. I understand that. But when you're paying an assistant coach a million bucks to coach special teams and tight ends. Listen, Jordan Leslie and Jamal and I are making a million dollars like collectively. They're probably not going to make a million dollars. I don't think um, and maybe it's like five fifty and five fifty just to say screw you, Mike. I showed you, but they're not going to be pulling in six hundred grand a piece. So 
it's just that's just how strange this is right now too. I mean, those are guys that are deserving of a raise, and you're not sure how much, if at all, they're going to get if they choose to stay here. Um, and that's that's what you wonder about when it comes to the coaching convention time right now, or just the coaching offseason in general. You know, how many schools can say, "I got a little bit more money for you here." It's a parallel move, it's an upward move, or you know, hey, you can be a co-coordinator or something like that. But also, we have a little bit more money than you have there right now. How much does that matter to guys? I don't know, and that's that's an unknown that you hate to have to deal with. But these schools are all going to have to deal with right now. And uh, and and to be clear, there's you're not gonna have a bunch of big money donors being like, I'm putting my foot down, I'm not giving you any money, or I want to give you money so that you can pay an assistant coach an extra fifty grand. Like that doesn't happen. It's it's for the big coaching changes, the big name coaching changes, like I was talking about with at Texas. But um, you and I talked about, both heard about a certain assistant coach that was being linked to West Virginia. And you had the exact same response I did right in line with what you were just talking about was, <laughs> uh, is he taking a massive pay cut to come to West Virginia? Like he's currently getting paid over a million dollars. Oh, is he coming to West Virginia and taking a massive pay cut? Cause no, that's not happening. Whatever happened to that rumor? I don't know. Did he end up getting fired? I haven't seen that yet. I guess we can say his name. Uh, Todd Grantham from Florida, Florida defensive coordinator. Not not our rumor, by the way. We answered. No, the phone no, no. Somebody text. asked us to check on it, and we chat. <laughs> and I was like, "Wait, what? Like, I don't even know if I should check on this. This seems so crazy." Right, and then the thing is that uh, I don't want to do this, but it just <laughs> sense. There's, I just can't believe you're going to bring in an external defensive coordinator and keep Leslie in a die. And then, are you bringing in a guy who was making a million bucks? And sure, he got fired, but or maybe he gets fired or whatever. I'm not sure, if, but I think he just signed a new contract, so his his income might be might be supplemented, which means that perhaps again, if he's making a million dollars a year at Florida, let's say this is all hypothetical, and he has an offsetting buyout, which means he only is due the difference between his Florida salary and his new salary. West Virginia is going to pay him the minimum, which is what they did to Jeff Coons. They paid Jeff Coons yeah. two hundred thousand dollars, and Mississippi paid, I want to say, 175. They paid the difference. So in this case, you hire Todd Grantham for $200,000. Florida pays $800,000 for however long the contract lasts. You can do stuff like that. That's going to be sneaky stuff in this coaching industry right now, too. Um, head coaches who are smart and they see these things and they, they know the way to, to to steal some money in a situation where there might not be some, there's an advantage to that, too. I wouldn't completely discount coaches knowing the math and knowing the the offsetting language like that in certain people's contracts not saying it's grant them but like that's going to be a way you can do it smart if it's there by the way not fired yet still still florida well still got signing day coming up right yeah we got to wait till what february 9th that's when that's when a lot of the coaching changes will happen yeah coincidentally Mm -hmm. well chris we didn't have much to talk about we darn near went an hour yep that's how it happens q a on monday Sounds good to me. We'll post the we'll post the thread on Sunday sometime. If if either one of us is around, uh, we're lounging on our four day weekend. Mm. We'll post the thread for you guys to add in some some questions, and we'll answer them next week. Guaranteed that something is going to happen Saturday and or Sunday to occupy our time. <laughs> Wouldn't happen anyway. Like yep. Well, enjoy your four day weekend, Chris. Until we talk again, I am Mike Casaza, and I'm Chris Anderson. We'll see you later.